drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and hello to you. Welcome, Paul, yeah, my co-host. I... Oh, hi. Hi, Richard. To this episode 47 of series 2 of Drive-by Cinema. Is it 47? I've got that right. Yeah, I won't make any customary comments about hexadecimal, but yes, 47. <laughs> Why do we say deanery? Why don't we just say decimal? Anyway, continue. The podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to. We Although, do. we're not discouraging you from watching movies, if you want to. And you can watch movies without our permission. Yeah, that's also true. Not without the Muffin Man's permission. The Muffin Man. The Muffin Man! Is that is that a big figure in your childhood, the Muffin Man? <laughs> no, no, it isn't. What, where, what's it from, even? <laughs> I don't know, it's just some meme thing. <laughs> or is it a trope? We'll never know. I was going to say, Paul, that this week, by the time listeners listen to this... It will be 2024. Well, no. No, we're, we're about to be going to see Duran In our Duran. time machine. Oh, no. Duran no, Duran. Yes. In the, the present Lytham day. Festival. In the at Lytham Festival, Friday night. It will be there, won't we, Bud? Oh, no. No, it, it will be happening as this is published, presumably. Yeah, there, roughly there speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you edit it. Yeah. Fuck up. So... <laughs> So go on. Uh, is there no, some, is there some weird it. thing to say about this? Is there some weird synergy going on? Some sort of deep synchronicity? Some sort of amazing serendipity that links this movie that we're about to watch to Duran Duran? No, I oh. don't think so. Oh. It's just, you know, it's another, it's a historic eternal. event, isn't it? It's marking the emergence from the COVID lockdown period. Glastonbury was on this weekend. We're going to Duran Duran next yeah. weekend. Yeah. Things are happening. It's like full circle or half circle for me because I'm pretty sure that Duran Duran were my first concert ever. Not wow. sure. Not sure. I'm trying to think. I mean, if it was stuff I went to before then, it probably wasn't with anybody apart from my parents. So I don't, don't think anything before that counts. I think it was the first, like, teenage concert that I went to. But On the docks that... at Granada. Really? Yes. Because, yeah. I mean... Well, so you're like 15 or something, and, and your 13. parents let you go go out to the Granada docks or wherever it was. What? Yes, it was the 1980s, Richard. Right, okay. I, I, you know, I did go home <laughs> for two or three days and like, oh, where have you been, kind of thing. You don't okay. remember the 1980s? I do, I do remember There's the a, whole thing called Stranger Things where you can watch children just riding around the countryside on BMX bikes. We really? Used to do yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we used to go all over the place. We used to go on a coach to Blackpool Pleasure Beach, I think, as a bunch of kids without any parents, just the driver, whose name With was... With teacher, though. No, teacher no, 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 no. Like, kids, we used to go out on our own. What, you arranged a coach for yourself? One of our parents booked the coach, put us on the coach, <laughs> sent Walter, who was like, this, he used to drive at 25 miles an hour, down to Blackpool with us, and we'd come back on the coach, having, you know, gone in all the snooker holes. And, and wherever else <laughs> at the age of 13 or 14. I, I was quite childish compared to some of the other lads, my mates. And uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to go down the, the tubes. You know, they just recently installed a, a, a water slide world. Not at the current thing, which is called Sandcastle Blackpool, at Blackpool Derby Baths. And I think it was called Splashland or something. And I love that. Right. So I, I was still like an 11-year-old in my brain kind of thing. And it was this, like a, muni- a municipal baths with 
it wasn't just a municipal. It was a beautiful Art Deco affair with right. the okay. seawater as as the uh, as, as the filler. The oh, pool. No. And it was it was a good huh? it was Olympic it was a, it was a proper Olympic pool. I watched but, uh, I watched a Sun Life Assurance sponsored uh, meet between Russia and England there. The AS you under don't ASA want laws. Seawater, do you? you get when you get out of the sea? You feel all nasty because it well salt like if you it, it's on Derby Road. It's called Derby Bath. If you've got a Derby Bath, if you've got a Derby Road now, you can still see the huge inlet pipes uh, and the pumping station sort of built into the seawall, the sea defence of the underneath the promenade, just below where the baths used to be. They haven't built. They haven't built on the bass. It's still a big green field kind of thing. You don't want Blackpool seawater, do you, in your swimming pool? Well, wait, but the, basically Blackpool knocked down what must have been the most prestigious Art Deco architecture in the entire country. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, uh, but they did do. And now it's just a big patch of green ground opposite the Grand Hotel, which is used for conferences. But so, yeah, you're right. I mean, when you used to go there, one, you used to get faster times in your swim meets. Uh, although the English team didn't when, they, when I went to watch them against Russia. I've got, I've got Why? Because, because it was downhill. It was salt water, you know. Uh, and You're more uh, buoyant. Yeah, much it. more buoyant. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've still got a signed copy of the programme from that meet. It was 1982, Sun Life Assurance. Okay. Lots of Russian signatures that I can't read. And, uh, yeah, the water did pong a bit, has to be said, because it's seawater that's been filtered Pumped into not very pool. well. Not very well. So you you got faster times, but you got the runs. <laughs> you got yeah. You got rats. What's, what's what's the rat disease that gives you vile disease? Vile yeah. disease. Yeah. Uh, don't swim at Bolton Abbey in Yorkshire, ever you do, people. Terrible tales for some of my <laughs> friends about that one. Yeah. So we used to these are bungers in a coach. We used to come back all around kind of thing, and I'm pretty sure we did the same thing for Duran Duran at Granada 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 TV. Good grief. Mm. Hey, you, you learned Russian, didn't you, at school? Oh God, uh, I'm imagining. That. I did. No, you're not. How did you know that? Look, I, the two things I did in the sixth form. I, you could take an AS level, which I regret not doing, or it was extra O level. You could take an extra GCSE at O level. Uh, you could take an extra GCSE, and people did do, and I should have done that. Well, I took G- drama as. We've discussed before. Ah, that was in your sixth form, I see. Yeah. Uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll just do the easy thing, which was level one Russian, which is kind of like 200 words of Russian in the Russian alphabet. Uh, and uh, it was it was taught, or sort of say run up, photocopied by this uh, bearded man with the really dark, thick eyebrows called Mr. Jackson. He wore those terrifying, really thick, expensive 1980s glasses. And he was very tweedy and smelled of coffee and cigarettes. Uh, and yeah, so we actually learnt very little Russian whatsoever. So you still, even after that, you still weren't able to read these signatures in your in your swimming program. Ah, but it's the curse of it's the curse of Russian cursive, though, isn't it? The W and the X and the the shushy Xy thing are all the same, and an N and a U all look the same. There's like five letters that are just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. So when they come in combination, they become famously indecipherable. Why don't we talk about this week's movie? Yes, let's do that. After here we go then. This is Goldstein. Oh fuck! I've got copy information. Are we back? No, we're not. All right, Paul. What's the name of the movie this week? It's that. It's that weekly question that I should get used to, isn't it? <laughs> 
and I don't. Uh, yeah, you think this... it'd be the first thing you wrote down in your notepad. <laughs> the thing I'm writing down my notepad now, actually. Uh, look, I'm ready this time because I kind of now I know that you're going to ask it every week. It is Uncut Gems, and I only know that because I'm looking at the title now. Uncut Gems, 2019, American crime thriller. I thought it was a bit of a comedy, uh, starring <laughs> starring Richard's favourite actor, the redoubtable Adam Sandler. And it, well, it, it's it's not a heist, is it? It's just a crime thriller. Although what the crime is, well, there are lots of them, but which crime it's particularly focused upon, I'm not entirely sure. I think it might be a sort of black comedy, but it isn't very funny. And you know, I was hugely relieved. Obviously, I'm prejudiced against Adam Sandler. I mean, I haven't seen very many of his films because yeah. I don't like the idea of Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> but this film was not the usual cloying, like, mawkish, juvenile humour that I associate with him. Perhaps unfairly, because he's not doing that in this film, really. He's not, he? no. He's proving he's a real actor. Uh, I mean, that's the chink in the pro-life armour, isn't it, Adam Sandler? <laughs> Amongst others, I'm yeah, making, I suppose. Yeah. I'm steel manning your arguments for you, Richard. Okay, so how do we introduce it? Shall I introduce his character, first of all, or not? Well, I just wanted to say that he's very well cast in this because although he's not being juvenile Adam Sandler, he is, to my mind, incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for me, what, what, this really what, hit the spot. What, I hated him every bit as much as all Why did you find it so annoying, was? I mean, he's, well, he's not he, supposed to be a likable character, is he? No, exactly. That's right. He's I think the whole movie hinges cast. on whether you're going to feel sorry for what happens to him at the end or not, or whether you think he got his comeuppance. I cheered at the end. And here we go. Spoilers. What's, what you say? Uh, important stuff up front? What? Yes. Bottom line up front, yeah. At the end of this movie, he gets shot in the head, and I was so relieved. <laughs> 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 right, okay, so I think Rich has reviewed the movie and given his scores already. Yeah. <laughs> so Adam plays, with some aplomb and with a certain level of commitment, he plays a Jewish-American jeweller. Howard. Howard, yeah, who's uh, very vocal uh, and who also happens to be a serious gambling addict. And I to such a level. Is this why, is this why you like this movie, Paul? Does, yeah. Does it yeah. speak to you? Thanks for outing my addiction, Richard. It's, I don't have a crippling gambling addiction, but but yes. Well, he Howard makes the big mistake. Go on. He doesn't. He doesn't keep a green book, does he? That's his problem. Fuck off. Look, I mean, I when when I'm gambling, yeah, I'm absolutely in that zone, and as uh, just as involved as he is. So. So yeah, so yeah, he's obsessive, isn't he? He's obsessive. Yeah, I mean, he loses, he becomes blinkered, doesn't he? Uh, and I thought that was portrayed rather well, Richard. Here, if you could just listen, not shoot the messenger. This is a Netflix film, but is it's, it? It's made by A twenty four. Is it a studio we keep coming back to and enjoying the films of? I think it's got a lot going for it. Well, can, can I just say it's been ridiculously well received. Ninety two percent Rotten Tomatoes, seven point four, which is a high score on I. What, sorry, what? 92%? Yeah, approval rating. Okay. On the Tomatometer? On the Tomatometer, yeah. So, I mean, people That's... like this movie. So at the beginning, at the very beginning, we, we don't see Howard initially. We no. see mines in Ethiopia. The Wellow Mines in Ethiopia. Where they mine. Black Opal. Opal, Opal. Yeah, what is Opal? 
It's like if you ever had an aunt that wore big rings, she'd put opal in the in the big, you know, late 70s stones that she wore. Opal is a hydrated amorphous form of silica. Oh, okay. it's cheap as shit then. Yeah, it's a semi-precious stone, isn't it? Yeah, but it is quite colourful and can be quite beautiful. Something happens that I don't completely understand. As someone gets injured, get their leg broken or something, get taken out of the mine. Is someone using that as the opportunity to sneak back into the mine? Yes. And chip a big bit of opal off It the was wall. all organised, okay. So one of the, one, you know, the Patsy, the fall guy, decides to get a fairly horrifying injury, which will stop production, you know, bring the security guards down, and then his two mates sneak back in and chip off the massive opal, the black opal, that they've uh, located previously. This is going to show up later. But the next bit is over the title sequence, I think. Uh, we see up Adam Sandler's ass as we... Uh, well, only after we descended into the murky depths of the infinite universe that is the inside of an opal. Yeah, they're nice, a nice transition into Adam Sandler's... It's a bit James uh, Bondy, wasn't colon, it? Where he's having a colonoscopy. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Cut to colonoscopy. There's no silhouettes of women dancing in uh, in bikinis and stuff. Like just a, just a surgeon wiping a shitty stick. Yeah. <laughs> he he comes out of his colonoscopy appointment. He goes back to his office. He gets shaken down on the way. I think by some heavies who belong to Arno, his brother-in-law. We only figure out it's his brother-in-law later when I they think. tell us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, he apparently owes him some money. These guys have come round to try and collect it. Howard goes to uh, his what we we learn later is his apartment, where he's got his girlfriend staying there, and she's having yeah. a party there. Doesn't she also work for him? Oh, yeah, she does. She's in the shop as well, isn't yeah. she? That's obviously how they met. We and it's an authentic jewelers. It's got like that buzzing that buzzing double sort of uh, airlock door where you can keep people. You know, between between outer world and inner world. It's not the kind of place that has a window, is it? It's you. You have to go up some steps, uh-huh. I think, to get into it from the street, wouldn't you? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Despite the fact that he's got a girlfriend staying in his apartment, he also has a family. He has a kid and a wife in a home. Quite a nice home. Actually. More than one kid. I think two or three potentially, because yeah, right. yeah. him and his son. Or two sons. No, he's got he's got a son in the play, and his daughter is taking a lead role in the school play that him and his wife and son go to watch at some point in the movie. I can't remember when. Now he's called his full name is Howard Ratner. Yeah, That's interesting. Eh? It is, isn't it? So I, I think Ratner. Well, the Ratners in the UK, you know, they were a Jewish jewelry Sion family, weren't they? A Sion family. I don't know how you say that word. That's right. They're not around anymore, are they? You don't They're see not. Ratner's no, shops. I think publicly said, you know, all I sell is shit, isn't it? Was that Ratner's? It that is Ratner. Yeah, he he denigrated his own products, his own of goods. His product. yeah. But actually, I think it, if you heard the whole speech, he was making a much more nuanced point. But it, yeah. it got snipped. No such thing as society. Out of context, and it really, it really hurt his business. I think in the end, Howard is going around. He's pawning. This rather gaudy Michael Jackson on a cross made of diamonds at the pawn shop <laughs> so that he can place a bet with a Bucky. A Bucky who's, I think, also a family member, it turns out, possibly later. Now, his girlfriend says, don't go and pawn that. We're going to watch the yesterday. No, what they called? The weekend. <laughs> We're going to go watch the weekend. I bet he'd buy that crap off you of Michael Jackson. When he gets back to his shop... 
some real big shot guy turns up. I think he's called KG, isn't he? He's Garnett. He's a basketball player. Oh, yeah, I think I think he's actually a real. He's actually a real basketball player. This is an interesting thing about this movie. We've got two cameos: one from the week, the weekend, and also one from KG Kevin Garnett, who did I think used to play for the uh, for the Boston Celtics. Really? Yeah. How do you know all this, Paul? Have you, are you just looking it up on Wikipedia? No, no. I, I mean, he's like you know Kevin Garner. I'm because I lived out. I'm, I'm not interested in basketball. Ooh, it's a better sport than soccer to watch. Is it? Is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are points. Things happen. It's always a good thing in sports. I think. You They're always have to running around. There's no. It's. It's fast moving. It's exhausting to watch. It is, but that's but Americans don't watch it like that. Sorry, they watch it, you know, with it on in the corner whilst they're doing other stuff. So yeah, KG comes along and he's got this little like, uh, you know, Howard's organised him to have a handler, uh, or maybe the handler introduced him, introduced Kevin. To, he works for Howard, that guy, to he Howard's works. shop. Yeah, his name yeah. is Demony. Yeah, he brings big shot like athletes and presumably rappers and stuff into the shop. So that they can sell them, you know, tat. He's showing him a diamond encrusted Furby. That's right. <laughs> his eyes move. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, because I mean, this is set retrospectively in 2010. Hence, they comment, you know, oh, the week, the weekend would love this. Who the fuck's the weekend? You know, oh, he's some great guy. He's going to be big someday. And he wasn't big at the time. He was only producing his own YouTube videos, wasn't he? 2010. He was one of the first self-made YouTube stars, I think, to make it really, really big. Okay. Full confession. I don't know who who he is. I got no clue who you're talking about. What? (laughs) Oh, he's like... He's the guy that brought brought back 80s synth pop. No. I I know it's popular for... How can that be true? (laughs) It's popular for Stranger Things, for Stranger Things recent, all that stuff. But, you know, he was doing that kind of, you know, really Miami Vice kind of style, the big synth sound for for a long time. But, you know, in a modern way. But that's what... He's, like, huge. He's he's gigantic, you know. He's he's a Canadian singer. Yeah, The Weeknd. Right, yeah, still no clue. None the wiser. Well, I mean, I must be out of touch. Making me feel extra old, Paul. Nice one. <laughs> but you were saying about the uh, the Furbies, the diamond aggressive Furbies, yeah. I was. I was yeah. saying, you know, so this is set re- retrospectively in 2010. And do you, don't you remember the time like women were wearing pink juicy couture jogging <laughs> jogging bottoms? Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was sure. it was very Kardashian time, wasn't it? Generally, anyway, basketball star Kevin Kevin Gar- Kevin Garner, who we later we later just referred to as KG. Uh, his handler, or Howard's assigned handler, Demony, he's kind of got a thing where you know he brings in these stars and he gets to put his watches on hock and maybe you know yeah he's obviously nicked these watches wants them wants to be sold oh he's nicked them wants to be sold but they're all but fake how, Rolexes Howard anyway. doesn't want to sell any of them on the shop floor because Cause they're fake they're, well they're fake and or knocked off and you know whatever yeah so generally we get an image of you know a very frenetic and busy somewhat loudmouth New Yorker that's who, that's how we see Howard to begin with. And at this point, a yep. package arrives for Howard from Ethiopia. Dun, dun, dun. While KG, whilst his big star, he's sort of dribbling over and, you know, fawning over, is in the shop. So he takes it into the back room and he's saying, KG, come have a look at this, it'll blow your mind. And he opens the polystyrene 
And inside, there's an enormous fish, maybe a couple of fish. And he grabs the fish, and he slices it open. And somehow, I don't know how. I like this. The the giant bit of opal that we saw earlier is inside the fish. (gasps) Clever way to smuggle. Because, of course, we don't have x-ray machines. He then tells the KG the story of the African Jews and of black opals in the Wallow Mines. <laughs> and he, I think he says... That's quite a good sales is, pattern. I'm sure it's all made up. This, it doesn't look like a cut gem. It's not. No. That's why the name of the film is uncut, right? It looks like a muddy rock <laughs> with a few kind of shiny bits on the outside of it. <laughs> Do you remember this? Do you remember the late seventies? You used to buy those air fresheners for your car. It was like a little coloured red jewel you hung from your you hung from your uh, mirror. Hang on, what, sorry. What what shape were they in? It's like it was like a little black bar, and it had a little red jewel in the middle of it that gave off a sense. red jewel. Yes, I know another one you mean. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like those are stuck into it's stuck into a piece of stone kind of thing. It looks pretty shit, you have to say. Yeah, the ones you are talking about, like a traffic light with the amber in the middle. Yes, yeah. Like a jewel with a little... Why do they sell those? They look quite cool, don't they? (laughs) Gone the way of furry dice, so much. They smelt horrible. They did smell horrible, yeah. (laughs) How he claims these days. How he claims this is four to five thousand carats... And he says something like about three thousand dollars a carrot, which would be about. I make worked out to be fifteen million. He later says that that's worth at least one point five million. So God knows he shouldn't be in this business that he's in. (laughs) He He claims it's a million dollar opal anyway, doesn't he? Yeah. And at this point, KG leans too heavily on the glass countertop, which Harry (laughs) obsessively tells people not to lean on, and he smashes it. He's a big guy. He is a big guy. He is a big guy. He doesn't know his own strength, does he? But he wants to buy that opal from Howard. And he offers so, him like, like a tenth of what Howard thinks it's worth. Howard says, look, you can borrow it for the weekend. Because, I mean, KG is convinced that this is going to bring him his mojo, his look for the game. Because he's a sportsman. He's superstitious, isn't superstitious. he, Paul? So Howard says, look, passes that, passes, that winners, passes that winner's ring, NBA winner's ring, on your finger. And you can borrow it for the weekend and rub it for good luck before the game. He keeps his ring as collateral, yeah. yeah. Paul, it, when you went to the tennis match that you invited me to, but I couldn't make it because I was in Europe, uh, did any of the players have that magic kinesio tape on? I don't know what you mean by that. Oh, on their arms? No. No, they didn't. Or on the legs, or on the legs. You put this not, like, not... coloured tape. <sighs> yes. Tape. Yes, the British girl did, who lost the final. It's, it's nonsense, it's nonsense. It's just tape, right? But it's sold as if it's going to do something But wait a minute, special. lots of younger players, uh, there was a junior competition, they had those sorts of foamy, that tight foamy kind of arm glove. Is that a similar kind of principle? Arm glove? <laughs> what? I'm trying, it's, it's like, it's like, <laughs> what kind of material? I don't know. It's like, like a, a Tempur-Pedic mattress kind of thing. Is it memory foam? What do I... It, it, it's like a foamy... It's like my mouse... It's like a mouse mat material. Neoprene, you mean. Yeah, Neoprene. yeah. And you, you, put it, you put the sleeve on your arm kind of thing. I don't know why right. you do that. Is that similar principles, maybe? There was, some, I, there was a lot of that in the junior competition, yeah. Listen, obviously... Can I just say, you missed a hell of a man's, men's final. Did I? Oh, it was... I, it well, literally I was, watching, was, it was... I was watching it with incredible. you on, on, live, on live. Oh, but I, I've never actually been to it, to it you know... 
But then you stop. You stop responding. It was you, too exciting. I was. You were probably oh, listen, the listen, yeah. listen. I mean, I, one, I was looking at myself on TV and waving and waving because <laughs> uh, I was on the ATP stream. Uh, two, I, two. It was. It was like. It was like down to the last. The last game in the last set, and uh, it was like they. One was steaming ahead. The other was steaming ahead. You know, various points of the game, various points of the match. You can't, you can't ever really see that on TV. It's completely different watching it up close. You can really see the changes in their confidence and and how they're playing, and it's just so much more a visceral experience. But the other reason I stopped communicating was I, I did have several bets on. And, you know, I was going for that green. I had a green book and a Dutch book, and then I thought there was a sudden change, and Jack, Jack Sock, strange name, started playing really well, and I just suddenly lost faith. In what I'd bet, I thought I'm just going to bet on one. So I put all my money on Jack Sark, and he was winning, 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 and then he just kind of collapsed, like three or four games from the end. And the guy who had originally kind of thought was going to win, the, the young Belgian guy, ended up winning. You know, so uh. so you would have had, you know, it would have entertained you because I lost a lot of money that day on the bet. <laughs> I lost a lot of money. I don't want to say how much. That's not a green book, then, Paul, is it? If you've lost money, no, I, I I did what Howard did, and I. I just you lost your I, bottle. I, yeah. No, I lost my composure. I stopped oh. playing the game like I normally do, and I just, I, I just, I just went with my heart. And it's something you shouldn't go with your gut, but never go with your heart in, in gambling. That would be my advice. Can I suggest you go with your brain? No, no. I mean, Rather go with using your, no, your, your, your visceral shitting everywhere, expecting your feces. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean by go with your gut is go, go with your brain. Yeah, but then. When things take a turn, or when it when it when it when it when it hinges, at that point, having done your calculations, you've got to go with a gut feeling. Does that make sense? That's all I mean. I'm not saying lose your brain balance, which is what I did, and I lost big time because of it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, I am sorry I missed it, uh, but okay. I was catching a plane. Literally, you were. It was leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when it's going to be back yet. All of which is to say that sports people are superstitious. Yes. Um, let's face it, they're not, they're thick, aren't they? Stop no. it right now. <laughs> so he's convinced that having this stone is going to make him play basketball better. Yep. And he does this deal, as you say, how he keeps his special ring. So this is one of the many annoying things of Howard's like character. Yep. Is what he immediately goes and does now is he goes and pawns that ring. Takes all the money. Money and bets on KG that night in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, his uh, brother-in-law is after him, Arno, and his heavies. And they intercept the bet and cancel it. We, are, we only found that out later, see? Oh, sorry. You've you, you buried the lead here because, you know, we spend the night, then he goes home, he's got to spend time with his kids, with his family, his Wife is telling him off that he's not spending time with his kids. He's just only interested in watching the game, just like you, just like you at the tennis when I was chatting to you and you just ignored me. And his kids are there, and he's like watching. He's he's watching the basketball on his phone while he's pretending to be with his son, you know, putting him to bed or whatever. And KG wins. Oh, he's not around at the house because it's Passover. I mean, they're getting in divorce. They're separated. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he lives, really he lives there, him. doesn't he? I'm sure he lives there. Oh, okay, but they live separate lives, like a Phil Collins song. I think they're just in the process of understanding that there's going to be a divorce. I don't. Right. That's how I felt. Well, wifey knows about his refer, doesn't she? So, I'm not sure that she does because he's very keen to keep it, his son quiet about it later. So I'm not sure that she does know. 
I don't know how he manages to keep it secret. It does seem implausible, but there we go. So, anyway, he wins. He's happy, really pleased. And I've just spoiled what happens, yeah. He, he grabs the taxi. <laughs> grabs the taxi. And t- Richard, there's nobody telling anybody this. I've just told them what happens. Go on, sorry, Richard. He gets the taxi to take him to Smith and Walensky's. Hell, you were watching closely, weren't you? Do you see what a rabid hatred of Alan Sandler does? It makes you... Oh, it's like a, it's like a poem by, you know, that bloke who talks about two apples or whatever. Well, I, I couldn't work out... gave an apple to my friend. I gave an apple to my foe. Listen, maybe I got this wrong. Maybe... Maybe I got the name of the shop wrong. I'm sure it was Smith and Walensky's. Now, I know Smith and Walensky's in the US. Is that like a s- department store? Oh. No. Is Go that on. right? I don't know. Go on. No, I think it's a steakhouse. That makes sense, yeah, because, I mean, don't forget that this kind of gambling is illegal in the States. I think it's changed now that the internet has happened and, you know... I mean, British companies... It's not just, changed. I mean, it's not changed, no. It's wow, and that's why, that's why British companies are doing so well you know, in the worldwide internet gambling arenas because it's legal here, you know, and that's why so many American companies are looking to buy up. I think it's Bet... Uh, Bet Fair. Bet365. Bet, no, Bet yeah, they're looking to buy up Bet365 because, you know, there are so many American punters these days that they can kind of extend their claws into holidays and weeks away in Vegas on the back of these, on the back of these websites kind of thing. But yeah, sorry, Rich, you were saying. So yeah, I think in the US you would go down the local pizzeria if you're of Italian, it's not a pizzeria. It's a I fancy know. steakhouse. Wait, 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 wait. Or you might go down the steakhouse if you were Jewish. Okay, Sorry. but the thing is, he comes away. It's like going, you know, it's like going down the pub into the snug when you want to just, you know, get some knockoff back of the lorry goods, isn't it? It's that kind of thing. The steakhouse, the pizzeria is where that stuff happens in this in the, in the US. I don't think it happens in in sports bars, does it? All right, but the thing is, he, he says to the taxi, take me to Smith and Walensky's, and then we see him yeah. arriving at his apartment with a paper bag, a, an expensive, fancy-looking bag. That's with, right, yeah. With a ribbon at the top. And I, I think it's green and white, which is the colour of Smith and Walensky. That's right, but yeah. I didn't it's get a present the for his wife. What, what, oh, it's, what it's a doggy, It's a doggy bag. <laughs> I thought he was buying lingerie. Not for his wife, for his girlfriend, by the oh, way. That's his girlfriend. He's, yeah. he's going to his apartment where he's a girlfriend. Now, there's a, pivot, there's a critical, not pivotal moment here. He's, he's like, you know, he's brought this bag back for him, which is, it seems somewhat, somewhat anticlimactically now we've discovered. It's just a steak and not jewellery <laughs> or laundry. And she's, she's coming in uh, as as he's just arrived at the apartment. So and she's hides. got, she's already got a Smith & Walensky bag. Yes. He's, he's hiding she's, So she's, all, what, they both get doggy bags from, from the steakhouse. <laughs> what? He's jewelry. He's obviously making money, even though he's in debt. Yeah, uh, and so he hides in the broom closet and uh, spies on her, kind of thing, while she's uh, arriving home. Suspiciously at first, I, I like this. This is a good bit because he's in the cupboard pretending he's on his way there, and he's sexting with her, and she's sending him pics of the lingerie she's wearing, which I assumed she got from the bag because she bought herself some sexy lingerie, and he'd done the same. Jamie but- Oliver might think about giving some away with his uh, with his pizzas now. His restaurants are failing. <laughs> Not a bad idea. If Smith and Walensky is the steakhouse that I think it is, my recollection of going there and eating there in in the States was that as you were ordering the food, the waiter wheels a trolley over with all of the ingredients uncooked on it. So you, he's got the cuts of steak and you just point at the slab of meat that looks nicest to you. And does he cook it on the table for you? No. 
But oh. weirder, he also has the veg, so he'll show you like a potato <laughs> that they're going to mash up, you know. That is strange. <laughs> it was very, it was a weird mannered experience. It felt, you know. I mean, Korean barbecue, yeah, they bring the raw stuff on plates and you cook yeah, it. On and a, you cook on it on the little on thing. A, on a griddle, you know. Have you Citron done, hot have pot. You, have you done a Korean barbecue here in the UK, Paul? Not in the UK, no. I want to do it. There's a Korean. Is there a relatively authentic one? I think so, yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. thing is, I okay. don't know how to do it. I don't know how you do the cooking. I've, I've, done it, I've done it maybe 500 times. So that's well, what I need. I need someone who can do it, yeah. It's really it's really not difficult, Richard. You just stick it on there, you know. And it's all thin-cut stuff, so it's two minutes of a job. Uh, have you not been for Sichuan Hot Pot? Um, do, is, is Similar... That, yeah. Similar raw food experience, you but this time you, you no you yeah well you, you dip it in either you put it in like one of those leaky spoons I don't know what you call those uh, <laughs> you put your little a slotted slice, spoon I think it's called a slotted spoon it's it's the steel spoons with circular holes in them about eight circular holes and quite large I, I feel that it's a slotted spoon but right, okay and then you put your little sl- it slithers of beef usually or other kinds of meats and. And that kind of stuff, uh, and straw mushrooms too, which do really well in it. And you put that in there, and you boil it for maybe ten seconds in the very, very spicy uh, red soup. But if you're Chinese, you'll probably just dip it in with chopsticks, and then let it very quickly lift it up, let it be float for about half a millisecond, and then reposition the chopsticks so that they can cook the bit they were holding the chopsticks with, and then do it that way. Uh, and that's uh, that's a very similar experience. Shabu shabu is quite similar in Japan. It's all raw food and you stick it in like a soupy thing. There's another shabu one. shabu. Yeah, there's another one. It's got a great one. name. But yeah, we've got to do any of these, Rich, but I don't know if you can get them here in the north of England. I know you can certainly get them down in Oxford. Which ones? The Sichuan hot pot and the well, Korean barbecue you can get down there without doubt. Well, I know of a Korean place in, in, oh. in Manchester. You, and there it. must be a Sichuan hot pot place in... Manchester Chinatown. There must be. Well, there are so many overseas Chinese students these days, aren't there? So there will be. So that's what a slotted spoon is. The question now is, what's a runcible spoon? <laughs> he's always, he always trucks these ones out. You've, you've had that for years, haven't you, Richard? Waiting to throw it at me. I don't know. What is a runcible spoon? <laughs> well, I think, as far as I can tell, I think it's what we would nowadays call a spork. Ah. It's a kind of spoon with fork tines at the end I think you might get when you're serving salad usually with a spoon as well what's the one that's spoony but it has sort of bent upturned fork things that you use for pulling pasta out of a pan is it a pasta spoon a pasta implement yeah I don't know what you pasta spoon look listeners you need to tell us about these things (laughs) I can fry an egg but that's about it in the kitchen so I pasta eat. server, I don't I think cook. it's called, maybe. Pasta spoon, yeah. yeah. We digress, horribly. All right, so um, they have sex. Howard and his girlfriend. He, bust, he busts out the cupboard. He's all happy because he thinks he's won a lot of money. Next morning, Howard is crazy mad that KG is late back with his opal. Yeah. And then he goes to see his daughter's school play. In the evening. Throughout the performance, he's texting furiously his handler guy. Because, first of all, he spots those heavies who've turned up to his daughter's play. Oh, those heavies, yeah. yeah. 
And Rotherham also, bought Cephas. he's desperate to get his Opal back because he's supposed to be putting it on in an auction where he expects to make a million dollars from this thing. But don't forget, he's pawned the ring that he's exchanged for the Opal. I, every time in the movie, it's this kind of thing where he's too impulsive. He sabotages himself. He sabotages every himself every turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought we didn't really because I thought this is quite accurate. You know, it's how gamblers do become blinkered. But we never actually got to see it from his POV. We were kind of always watching from the outside, and I don't think it was. And for that reason, one, it wasn't particularly sympathetic. Not in terms of emotional sympathy but it wasn't sympathetic to how he was feeling and two it wasn't really convincing a convincing portrayal of you know the kind of urgency that a gambler feels you know we just see the effect of him not planning in a rational way we don't really see that his mental state that takes him to to that level of to that level of blinkenedness well he goes out of the auditorium you know the Hall, school hall where this play is happening and Arno's heavies follow him out, they have a bit of an altercation, he bites one of them, runs away they catch him, this is the point at which, I think on the phone to Arno, you know, he's saying, listen I've got the money, you know, one big, one big place is bet, but it turns out they'd followed him, seen him placing the bet, and stopped it they'd, they'd no, stopped I, the money. I think on this level you have to say, well I don't owe you the money anymore <laughs> any rational person Mind the sounds. Spoken like a true gambling addict, Paul. <laughs> you cancel my bet. You're responsible for the fact that oh, no, I no, haven't got the money. He's owed money, and this guy, when he gets money, he's just putting it. He's just putting a bet down. That's presumably how he got into debt with Arno in the first place. Arno could call the police if he doesn't like his actions, but what you can't do is, is take the law into your own hands, Richard. He's what? Call the Arno. call the police on family who's doing illegal betting. Well, as opposed to cancelling his bet and locking him in the boot of a boot of a car. <laughs> yes, so that's right. So Ono's revenge here is they put him in the trunk of his own car, naked, stripped naked. Yeah. Uh, now, the thing about that is, I believe that since the late nineties or something, cars have to have an emergency. He tries release. to press that. He tries to press the emergency release. He does. What? It doesn't work. Why yeah, doesn't it work? Reason. I don't not know. Explained. No, well, it's narrative. It's a that's. It had to not work, otherwise it wouldn't be so funny. I don't know where so, the emergency release is in my car, but then it's a hatchback, so I could probably just get through the the seats. <laughs> Should I ever find myself naked in the boots of my own car? <laughs> You'd have difficulty in yours, Paul. Yours is quite small. They couldn't get me in there to start off with. So to get out of his trunk of his car, notice we're using the American word for boot here. He. Has to phone his wife. Yes. He has to eat humble pie and get her to help. Who's carrying the spare key for their car. If I, I suppose if I was, if I had a significant other who could drive, it would be sensible that they carried the second key. But otherwise, you know, I keep my spare key for my car safely tucked away. I'd like, by the way, in his daughter's play, there's a bit where gold spits out from her mouth. <laughs> he was amazed by that, wasn't he? It was quite well done, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, for you know, for an amateur production, it was good special effects. And... I'm pretty sure it was a Passover play, wasn't it, from the, from the Jewish community? I don't know. I don't know what Passover is, and this movie did not demystify it. Uh, uh, because there's a scene, isn't well, there? Don't well, say happy to holidays to, to, to Jewish people, because apparently they don't like that, according to this movie. Oh, God. So, The weekend are playing at a club. Oh, that's um, what's playing at the club. Yeah, and Howard... I thought it was just attempt- the weekend. 
No, the weekend is spelt different. It's got no E in it or something. Uh, Howard, in an attempt to get his blooming Opal back, invites his handler of KG, the basketball star, his handler called Demony, to the party, to the nightclub party, because Howard has got invites from his girlfriend. There's great lighting here. Like, there's a lot of black light UV stuff. Yeah. And his guy... Demony, I think you said. He's the only guy who's wearing an orange garment. So he like stands out in like this neon orange. Everyone else is like in like blue stuff, I guess. It's I really do miss nice. black light days. Anyway, cut a very long story short, because we have to get a crack on. He catches his girlfriend in the bathroom with a girl. Doing cocaine with the weekend. Is it oh, with the star? Is it, is it with, with the, the weekend? weekend? Yeah. I yeah. Did, oh, wow, I didn't know the that. The actual living weekend, yeah, who's like the biggest pot star in the world, Richard. So they have a huge fight. They have a huge fight. He's like thrown. bigger than Taylor Swift and shit like that. Do you know what I mean? He's gigantic. So she should get a free pass, really, then. So I was thinking comedy here, because he has a fight with The weekend, doesn't he? He gets, <laughs> gets chucked out. Yeah. They both get chucked out, because they're both having a blazing row. Howard goes back to his office, where he keeps a pillow in his drawer, which is sensible. She wasn't having sex with The weekend. She was doing cocaine and sort of feeling his hard on with the prospect of getting him into the shop and selling him some jewellery because he's a big star like KG. Yeah. Howard, you know, here... He, he flies off the handle. Faith. He overreacts. Yeah, a complete act of bad faith on his part. I mean, he walks into the bathroom. They've only been, you know, they've only heard him knocking on the door 10 seconds before and they're fully clothed. So he's got, you know, there's absolutely no reason for him to suspect they're having sex or had sex and that they weren't just doing a quick line or a quick bump. So the next morning, he slept in his shop. He's having to call the lady at the auction house because she's wondering where this opal is. He calls KG's agent. But KG turns up. He arrives at his door. Yeah. Because I was thinking it's going to be planes, trains and automobiles, you know, him trying to recover this recover this stone. But no need because, yeah, except turns that, up. Except yeah. that the, the inside door of the airlock won't open. <laughs> so now he's got this basketball star with his prize open. How is this not comedy? And they can't get the door open. I think eventually he gets his uh, like technician jewelry jewelry guy expert to come over and put a screwdriver in the magnet. No, he he technician puts iron filings in it, you know, to get the magnetism to work. And he says, "What the fuck are you doing?" There's lots and lots of expletives in this movie, mostly from KG and his handler, but also from from uh, from from Howard. And then he sticks a screwdriver in the back of the uh, electromagnet, and it all works. That's right. He's also being chased down by the guy who. Gave him the Michael Jackson crucifix. But he's pawned that. <laughs> that's a problem. KG arrives. He doesn't have the fucking ring. So I don't think he'll give him the garnet. Or he's upset with him for not having this, his ring that he's pawned. He's dumped his girlfriend. And he winds up going to a family Jewish ceremony. Passover. Passover, yeah, Passover thing, celebration. Yeah. Which is a load of fucking magic and reading out weird things and scriptural things. And nothing and really happens there that we need to talk about. I don't think. Well, we see that he's related to Arno, and we see we that he's do, related yeah. to the bookkeeper he keeps putting bets on. Oh, with. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a whole load of stuff about him and his wife. You know, he tries to patch it up because he's just now dumped his girlfriend. He's now going to his wife and saying, you know, is this really it? You know, can we not? Can we not make? It she sure sees right through it, doesn't she? She does. I don't. Think she's. I don't think she's playing ball anymore. <laughs> on the way, I mean, he has to stop at his apartment because his kids want. And he, he has to get something, and his kids say that they want the toilet. And Howard's like thinking, oh shit, you know, if my girlfriend is still there, I told her to get out. But presumably he doesn't want his kids to see that he's got a girlfriend living there. So 
he <laughs> he knocks on all the doors down the corridor trying to find a neighbour, none of whom he's ever met, who will let his kid use his toilet there. Uh, and eventually he finds someone. But his kid picks up on the fact that there's some... Like the neighbour tells the kid that some hot chick was living there. And he gets asked about it. That's what I mean by his wife not knowing. Because he tells his kid, don't you know, don't say anything. Ah, okay. Really? But she, but his girlfriend has gone, apparently. She's, she's emptied everything out. Next morning, I think the Opal... It's the auction. The Opal's been reappraised by the auction house for only like 150000 Yeah. And obviously he's absolutely apoplectic about it, but the, the auction house... Not to no avail. It's got to go ahead, yeah. So he convinces his father-in-law <laughs> and another family member. Bid, yeah. He's brought his family member Aaron along, hoping to meet KG, who's going to be at the auction to try and buy this stone. Convinces his father-in-law to bump the bids up. Yeah. To try and make it to 200,000. Inevitably, half-thought-out scheme. Hatched too quickly. And, you know, we know what's coming here. He says, you know, you could take it to 200,000 and, uh, you know, I'm sure KG will pay more than that. And we get to, his father-in-law takes it to 190 and then KG doesn't go to 200 like Howard said he would. So now... He'd arranged that he was going to give the money straight back to his father-in-law and then he'll get the gem again and sell it on. But he's got 20% fees at the auction house <laughs> that he's got to cover, which he asks a couple of weeks to try and raise from his father-in-law, who's also now pissed off with him. You know, yet another person who he's pissed off with his complete fucking incompetence. <laughs> and he recognises this, so he goes back to his shop, he breaks down in tears, his girlfriend comes along, consoles him, shows him that she's got a tattoo of his name on her ass, <laughs> which is charming, romantic. I fucking love you. <laughs> or something like that. She's a classy broad. KG's agent calls him. Out of the blue now, says, you know, final offer, you know, we'll give you 175,000 for it. So I think, you know, that'll do, won't it? At least help him minimize his losses, kind of thing. And, but at this point, Arno arrives, right? But I think KJ has already handed over the money, 165 only. He comes with a bag of cash, that's right. He's handed over 165 only because he had to give 5% cut or 7% cut to Domini. That was his viv. You know, yeah, 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 big, yeah, yeah, so to speak. That was his interest there. So Arno and his heavies are, have arrived, and he's kind of stuck in the shop. He can't leave. He's got this money that Arno will immediately take, presumably. So what he does is he tells his girlfriend to go outside, leave the place on some pretext, go to the place next door, and then hang out the window. And he hangs out of his window. Quite clever, this. It is quite clever. It's a, in a way, it's a pivotal scene in the movie, isn't it? He tosses the bag over to his girlfriend. He's given her instructions to fly. He's got a helicopter arranged to fly to a casino to put a bet on with all of this money. <laughs> all this money that's so essential for him to put a bet He's very on. good at thinking on the fly, you know. He's very much, you know, very good at winging it, isn't he? Oh, there's but street cutting going on here, no question. You know, he thinks of these schemes too quickly and never thinks them through. So he's going to put all his money on KG to win his match. But meanwhile, he's got to deal with the goons back in the shop. He, ultimately, he does that by trapping them in the faulty door. <laughs> in the faulty thing. door, yeah. yeah. 
But of course, this being 2010, there is telephone technology. So they send another goon who's based in Las Vegas, presumably, to go and find the girl uh, on the strip kind of thing. Now, he stands to win 1.2 million. And he calls it like a three-way parlay or something. That's I think, right. Yeah. I think there are three things he's got to win. Like, first, he's got to win the tip. and then It's like the tote. Yeah. 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 We're now watching this game, this baseball game, with Adam Sandler, with Howard, in his shop, and all the goons who are so pissed off with him. Arno's there as well. Uh, uh, Howard is, like, exhilarated by watching this game. You know, he's really excited when it's going well. There are moments when it's not going so well, but, he, you know, he's continuously optimistic like a good gambler is, isn't he? In the end, KG's team win the match, the Celtics win. Everyone's happy, and Arno's like, well, okay, he's won, fuck it, you know. So he goes to... There's a comic comic interlude here, because the girlfriend is being pursued by the aviator that flew her there, and he's some sort of retired millionaire who says he's a multimillionaire, though, hard to believe. He wasn't the aviator, he was just on the same helicopter ride, I think. Oh, he's on the same helicopter ride, yeah. Yeah, he's a real sleazy kind of guy. She's like saying, oh, 1.2 million, okay, got to see you guys, Uh, be nice to see you again, sleazy guy kind of thing. She's hopping into a limo to get out of town kind of thing. No, well, he'd invited her to his room. Yeah. And when she was being pursued by goons, and of course, if she picks up 1.2 million, like in a bag in a casino... She's easy pickings for those goons, isn't she? Just take it yeah. off her. So she's smart enough to take that guy up on his offer, but I don't think she does anything sleazy with him. I think she just gets him to, te- you know, to escort her down to a limo and get out of there. Back in the shop, Paul. What's that? Yeah. He's won all his money. Arno and his goons are watching. His henchmen are watching. But the live wire called Phil, you know, he's been brooding about the fact he's been locked up in this airlock by this Joker Howard. But Howard's so excited that he, he frees him and says, come on, guys, you know, I won the 1.2 million. Oh, no, brother-in-law, everything's great. And just out of the blue, from highs to lows, turns on a sixpence kind of thing. The the goon is just absolutely enraged by Howard, just stands up and shoots him in the head from nowhere. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> two, or three, two, two or three more minutes of action, and then the goon turns around and shoots Arno in the head. Yeah, that's right, because he was a witness, I guess. And then they proceed to rob the jewels, jeweler's store. And meanwhile, the girlfriend seems to have got, got the money and is getting away with it. When we say heist or crime, there was no heist here, was there? No, no. It's not a heist movie. Kind of Because you think jeweler, crime thriller, you're thinking it's going to be a heist. She didn't organise him dead. You know, It's no. not his girlfriend that's been, you know, been the, um, the enemy, enemy on the inside working with the thugs or anything like that. No, it's just... It's, it's just, just kind of a I, sad I guess, tale of a guy... A sad tale of, of, of errors, really, you know, yeah. of, of propagated errors, really. But it, yeah. it is kind of humorous as well. There is a black comedy to it. I yeah. Know. I think we've got to I think, score it. I think the, the sleazy guy at Las Vegas was intentionally written to be funny, wasn't it? Yeah, there's something a bit carry-on about it, isn't it? This old guy yeah. chasing the young woman. And the twists and turns of the plot, we're supposed to think planes, trains, automobiles, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's madcap, isn't it? The way that he, he always manages to make dim-witted decisions and for everything to turn out bad for him. But yeah, I mean, mostly it's, it's that thing where, you know, he's going, he's going badly, going badly, going bad for, badly for him. 
And then, finally, he wins. And then suddenly, his luck changes again, kind of thing. I think that's all to do with how we're supposed to view him. Hollywood wouldn't let him come out as a winner, would they? Because he's just so unsympathetic as a character. So he gets his moment of victory, but then it has to be cut away from him. Simply for narrative purposes, you know, to preserve a Hollywood narrative, I guess, on these kind of things. Well, he's such, you know, he's such a kind of odious person that... He is, yeah. You couldn't really let him get away with it, I don't think. It wouldn't feel right. He's not a lovable rogue, is he? He's not, he's not Del Boy, is he? <laughs> no, uh, I, no. I, I think even Del Boy is difficult to love, but no, he's definitely not even that. I, in fact, I think one of the criticisms about this story... Is I'm not really sure why he's as successful as he seems to be, which is not all that successful. But I mean, what you know? Why is everyone so keen on him? I don't know. But even if his first even if his first bet had gone through, it probably wouldn't have been enough to pay off the twenty percent he paid to his father-in-law <laughs> to to stooge for him, the twenty percent at the auction, the fact that he pawned his watch, didn't take it back in time, and got a seven percent vig put on it again, and the fact that he owes. I don't know how much to Arno. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the numbers don't add up, do they, on this one? Yeah. So, Paul, how are we going to score this? Well, usual plot, actors, action, thrill, sorry. Thrill and, and well, not crime, because, I mean, there's only low-level violent <laughs> crime committed. There's no there's no mastermind crime here, is there? I don't know. Just those three. That's okay. Yeah, but it, I think it speaks to the fact that this film... It's just a drama, right? It has no, there's no. It's sort of almost genreless, isn't it? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, there's aspects of Kramer and Kramer, Kramer versus Kramer about it, isn't there? You it's know? not really about the there's, divorce, though, is it? Let's face it. You know, the dialogue is very sort of I don't know, raging bull inspired, isn't it? Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a New Yorkiness, or is it a Bostonness about it? I'm assuming it's, they're in New Definitely York. Definitely New York, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, even though they support the Boston Celtics. I guess it's a New York basketball team. Yeah, so there's all that kind of thing where it, it kind of echoes various kind of films from various eras, but isn't really anything distinctive in and of itself. To start off with Richard, the acting, what do you think about it? Oh, God. I mean, you know, Adam, <laughs> he's matured into into this kind of role, right? Do you, do you think he's a serious, proper actor now? I mean, he does achieve that. He does. He he didn't annoy me in the way wow. I was expecting him to annoy me. It was more the character annoyed me than the actor annoying me. Do you think Ben Affleck would have been better <laughs> in this? No, I think he's very well cast. I've got to give it a seven. I think for the acting. Begrudgingly <laughs> <laughs> a seven. Okay. So for that, readers, uh, listeners, take it as an eight. Okay. <laughs> He's one of Hollywood's golden boys, and I don't... No, why? I don't know why <laughs> you hold that against him, okay? <laughs> Look, there's three of them, isn't there? Ben Affleck was one of the biggies, yeah. And then Ashley Kuchter? No, that's, Matt Damon. that's the female one. Yeah, Matt Damon. But who was the guy in Dude, Where's My Car? called Ashley. Is it Ashton oh. Kuchner? Yes. I think it is, isn't it? Ashton Kuchter. Yeah, not Ashley. Uh, and, and then later, you know, good old Adam here. They were kind of like the... I don't know how to express it, okay? But for whatever reason, Hollywood kind of cast them to be the highly accessible male. I mean, Ben Affleck was also a more serious actor, wasn't he? 
But you know, a- I think anybody of a more serious actor than Adam Sandler, surely. <laughs> but look, okay, Ashton also. If you look at Ashton, like 2004, 2005, he tried to become a serious actor and didn't really make the transition. Uh, whereas I think this really is Adam's first attempt to be serious. I mean, we haven't seen him since. Well, he feels old enough to do it, doesn't he? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I thought his acting was spot on. It was a little caricatured and parodied. I thought, you know, the whole. Very, very vocal Jewish person kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I'm sure Jewish people were like that maybe in Woody Allen's days, but it, I don't think they're so culturally ghettoized anymore, you know, with everything that's happened in the last 30 years. But that's not to detract from his attempt to, to act it, you know. He didn't write the dialogue, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, I thought the acting was mostly. Up to scratch. The goons, you know, were very two-dimensional, weren't they? True. And, yeah. Fair criticism. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah 7.5 for the acting. All right. Plot-wise, then. I mean, it, it does have some twists. They're rather predictable. After the first one happens, it's like, oh, he's going to mess up. Oh, he's going to mess up. Oh, he's going to mess up kind of thing. But it wasn't always clear how he was going to mess up. No, no. Uh, and the and getting the moment, shot in the head, I yeah, didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. As I say, that made me yelp with delight. But rather like Indiana Jones movies, it means that the rest of the movie was kind of pointless, doesn't it, really? <laughs> like, if he's going to shoot somebody random in the head, why do we have to see why he didn't do it for any other reason apart from the fact it was random? We don't need to understand any backstory here. You know, he just randomly shot somebody in the head because he was annoyed. Yeah, I suppose you're right. So, in a sense, the important part of the story is this is how... Howard's girlfriend winds up one million dollars richer. You know. And we don't see her, you know, do it afterwards. We no, get no denouement no. at all. So yeah. that was all disappointing, wasn't it? So for me, plot is going to be a 5.5. Yeah, okay. I'd say there are some definite plot holes as well. It was, it's not really mm. clear how he does persuade people to send this opal to him. Because yeah. if it is worth 1.2 million, what would... What on earth they would wouldn't know necessarily. <sighs> Because they're miners. Oh, like like they don't know that they're mining valuable, precious material. I mean, in the diamond mines, they get searched, don't they, and stuff. There's all kinds of horrific privacy-invading... True, but I think opals rather like diamonds. I mean, essentially, it's going to be some sort of shared monopoly. Yeah. So they can't take it to... The companies that deal with opals, because it's most most likely owned. That company's most likely owned by by their employer. Or All connected. they can do is break a leg, smuggle it out in a fish, and get paid a tiny <laughs> fraction of what it's worth. I suppose. So. I don't know. Seems seems. But it was only worth one hundred and seventy five in the end. Exactly. So they got, so they they got a up. they got a good price for it. They got a hundred for it. We don't know what he paid for it. He's, we? Well, he said he paid a hundred. Okay. He, yeah, he gets asked, doesn't he? And he's cagey about it. Hmm. For plot, I'm going to give it a, a five. Ooh, what are you stinker? Right, thrills, thrills. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite. Thrilling. I thought it was quite. I thought it quite. I thought I found it quite thrilling actually. Yeah, it, it hooked me. I wasn't when bored. they couldn't open that bloody door, and he was trying to do something. Was he trying to get a bet on, or I can't remember what he was trying to do, or trying yeah. to get get a watch or get an opal, and he couldn't get out of the bloody door. I found all that quite suspenseful, actually. True, agreed. Yeah, it, it did hit those spots. I'll give it an eight for the overall. I'm definitely going to give it eight point five for thrills. Oh okay. my! Mm. 
And so, overall, Uncut Gem, is it a gem or is it a, a dirty rock? I think it's an okay movie. I'm going to give it 7.5, Richard. It's certainly not challenging. It is something you can just switch off and watch and enjoy. It's semi-precious. So, yeah, I'll give it a 7. Whoa! Whoa! I'm surprised. You see how magnanimous <laughs> Richard is becoming in his, in his middle in his, in his, in his middle middle years. No, Paul, we've seen some much worse movies. Oh yeah, this, yeah. I mean this is this is a professionally made movie, you know, it moved along a barrel along a fair old pace. And we have to say it was a box office relative hit, you know, budget of nineteen million. It returned fifty five in the box office. So people like it. Richard, okay, so would you recommend this for people to watch? If you want an Adam Sandler movie that isn't cloying, then yes. Has 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 there been any rehabilitation in how you view the man? No. A, a little bit, yeah. I mean, if he carries on making movies of this kind or getting cast in this way, then maybe so, yeah. I'm mad enough to admit that, that I could have been wrong. Richard, it brings us, as you just said, to what is going to be on the menu for next week. What are we going to watch next week? I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, did you have some kind of documentary you wanted to see? Well, I had two documentaries to present to you. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm not sure which one you fancy. Well, what are they? Okay. I'm going to give you a choice of Joy Division 2008. I'm sure you've seen it before. A documentary or a film, docu drama documentary about the seminal Mancunian band. Okay. It's called Joy Division. Yeah. I, I've seen something called Control, I think. And this I've is a documentary. Seen... This is a documentary. But it's a dramatization. Well, there will be dramatized moments in it. Yeah. Okay, what's the other one? <laughs> that doesn't bode well, does it? Okay, the next one is New Town Utopia. I'm really excited to see this one. Okay, it's all about utopian dreams and concrete realities focused around the new town of Basildon, Essex, where they shipped all the Londoners out to. <laughs> and it stars Jim Broadbent, by, by which I think it means it, it's narrated by Jim Broadbent. Okay, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'd, I'm slightly more interested in seeing... <laughs> the history of battled in Utopia. Utopia. <laughs> I'm just really not. It's not about Welling Garden City or Milton Keynes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's find out about Basildon then. You see, Richard's finding out what happens when you democratise the decision process. <laughs> this is like being in the Supreme Court, isn't it? But yeah. too unelected. <laughs> Increasingly elderly. <laughs> <laughs> Out of touch idiots. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah, okay, thank Documentary you time. It's about time we did another documentary. It's been a long well time. Done, the last time we watched well, well bears done. chomping on uh, idiot hippies' legs, weren't we? Not this time. Not this no. time, no. Well, I don't think so. Unless humanly <laughs> concerts got out of control in Basildon before they were famous. Until the next time. Until the next time. We will say goodbye. Ciao for now. Thank you for listening. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.